Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. You'll find it on page 51 of the church Bible. Last week, uh, we got to the stage in Joseph's story where um, after uh, 20 years, he uh, revealed himself to the brothers who had uh, sold him as a slave and uh, thought they would never see him again. And now we're going to move towards uh, Joseph being reconciled, being reunited to his father Jacob and settling in the land of Egypt. We're going to try and cover a lot of ground uh, today, uh, which means there's a, a fair bit to read uh, from this story. Uh, let's hear God's word, beginning first of all in Genesis 45 and at verse 9. This is words of Joseph to his brothers. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your families back to me, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I am convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. 
and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. They also took with him their livestock and the possessions they'd acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. And then there's the, the genealogy, uh, which we will pass over, though it is important. And we'll come to verse 26. Uh, all those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his sons' wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who'd been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. Now, Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, my father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we have come to live here a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now, please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their children. Amen. Uh, and here we see uh, a long uh, period of uh, 45 to 47, sort of two and a bit chapters. But again, we're going to see God's grace in the story of this family. Uh, I wonder if you ever uh, find yourself reflecting, how did we get here uh, as a family? What are the, the major points in our family history? What are those defining moments that still have an impact, that still uh, set uh, the direction for our family today. 
Uh, there's a psychologist and author in the States called Mary Pfeiffer, and she reckons that history is inextricably linked to identity. She asked the question, if you don't know your history, if you don't know your family, who are you? And I wonder if you agree with that sentiment, the significance of either a political, national, or family history for defining our own lives. It's certainly interesting to think about, and certainly interesting to think about how did we uh, get here. When you read the Bible, you see that God's people uh, are a people who look back and who reflect. Uh, so you see them put up monuments. God speaks or God delivers, and you see monuments being established. Uh, they are a people who recite, who sing uh, national history, uh, particularly thinking about God's dealings with them, particularly God's redemption of them. And when you come to the New Testament church, what we see is frequent reminders to look back to the cross of Jesus, to remember his death, to remember his resurrection for our ongoing walk of faith. Why is that? Why is it important for us to keep reflecting? Well, because in those reflections, we are being reminded uh, both that we are uh, great sinners who have need and we have a great Savior. It's a way for us to connect our own personal stories, our family stories, to the story of a helping, saving, delivering God. So here is Moses, again, writing history. Uh, he's writing some hundreds of years later, but as he writes this part of the story, he is remembering and helping the people of God, helping us indeed to reflect that God has always kept his promise to save and to bless. And both in um, Jacob and his family's arrival into Egypt, and then as Moses led that family, now a nation, out of Egypt. So we're going to look at three uh, big ideas uh, connected to God's grace. First of all, in chapter 45, God's grace in the honor uh, that this family receives. Um, it's so significant as Joseph speaks to his brothers, the number of times where he says, five times I think he says, God has raised me up. We read it a couple of times in our section. Uh, verse 9, God has made me Lord of Egypt. And in verse 13, tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt. God has raised Joseph to this position of prominence so that God would keep his promise to this family through Joseph and through his position. So we read verses 10 and 11, and we see the comprehensive care that Joseph will provide for his family because of his position. They can have the best land, uh, they can take themselves and their flocks, and they'll have food. Perhaps even more striking is that Pharaoh himself will honor this foreign family because Joseph, with the help of God, had rescued Egypt. Verse 16 to 20, we see that. But especially, uh, verse 18, uh, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. And he gives this message to his family Verse 20, never mind about your belongings because the best of all, Egypt, will be yours. They are being honored through Joseph and his position. And then as we got to the end of the chapter, as the brothers went back uh, with their carts full of goods, 
And they came back with this good news. Joseph is alive. And we see eventually Jacob the father's grief turning to joy. At first, he's so stunned by the news that Jacob is, Joseph is alive. He can't believe it. But eventually, he hears and believes that his son has been raised up. And we see, verse 27, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Now he's ready uh, to go and meet his son. Uh, so Moses uh, is writing a long history. He's writing the long history of this family but he's making the point again and again that God always keeps his promises beyond the challenges that were faced, uh, beyond the challenges of timing. This family will enter Egypt with honor and they will depart from Egypt with wealth and freedom and honor. It seems as if Moses wants to draw attention to the parallels between the story of Joseph and his Pharaoh and then hundreds of years later, Moses and his very different uh, Pharaoh. Uh, so <clears throat> when the family were coming into Egypt, uh, Joseph's Pharaoh joyfully permits them to come and enjoy the best of the land. But if you know the story of Exodus and you get to Moses's Pharaoh, he grudgingly is forced to allow uh, the family that's become a nation to leave. It's significant the position of Joseph and, and Moses within Pharaoh's house. Joseph has been raised up by God to become a ruler in Pharaoh's household, whereas Moses uh, was a prince being raised in the royal household, but he left and then came back to pull God's people out. Uh, when we've seen um, the actions of God through Joseph in this Pharaoh, as Joseph was given the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, that softens Pharaoh's heart, and he shows favor to Joseph and his family. But when God shows up in power uh, in Moses's story, to the Pharaoh through the plagues, it serves to harden his already hard heart. So there is similarity but striking contrast. But the point is that the attitude of a ruler is neither here nor there. Nothing is going to stop the purposes of God. And the apparent disaster being faced by this family over the course of 20 years, family dysfunction caused by sin, none of it is going to stop God's promises from coming about. Nothing and no one can limit God's promised grace is the good news of the Jacob and Joseph story. And when we think about who Moses is writing to, he's writing to the newly established nation of Israel. Here they are in the wilderness around Mount Sinai. They still are not in the promised land. They're still weak and vulnerable as a people. But here is encouragement to look back to their story, to look back to God's faithfulness in their story. And that's the same lesson for us too. When we feel weak, vulnerable, when we are struggling to trust, when circumstances are hard, we are encouraged to look back, to see God's grace, to see it primarily at the cross of Jesus, but to see it in our own lives of how God has provided and cared for us. And of course, as always, we want to see how this part of the Joseph story points us to Jesus. So we see that God, and Joseph is very deliberate on this, saying, God raised me up. And Jesus will say that God was raising him up for us, for his people. Jesus is raised up in glory. He is raised up in glory as he obediently gives his life as that perfect sacrifice for sin 
to secure the salvation of those who would trust in him. Jesus is then raised up in glory beyond death. Death could not hold him. And then Jesus is raised up and returned to the glory of heaven where he now rules and reigns and prays and intercedes for his people. And because Jesus is raised up for his church, Jesus is the one we look to to provide all that we need. Just as Jacob and his family outside of Joseph's help would be poor and helpless. So we come to Jesus spiritually poor and helpless, but in Jesus, we become spiritually rich. We trust in him. All those spiritual blessings promised in the Bible come to us. Forgiveness, being declared just in God's sight, adopted into God's family, eh, the assurance that we belong, eh, the promise of heaven, all of those and so many more come because Jesus is raised up for you. And just as Joseph, in his position, secured Jacob and his family's welcome eh, before Pharaoh, Jesus secures our welcome from our King, our Father in heaven. Jesus is our friend in high places. Jesus, as it were, says of uh, his people, he or she is with me. The access, the privilege, the love, the joy that Jesus has, he brings us into that as we follow him, as we are united to him. And Jesus is the one, because he has been raised up, is able to turn grief to joy. He can turn the grief of our guilt to the joy of forgiveness. The grief of a fear of death, to the joy of assurance of knowing that Jesus will never let us go now and for eternity. The grief of being an enemy of God and loaded down with the weight of sin and guilt to the joy of becoming a friend of God as Jesus forgives our sin and secures our peace. Jesus is raised up for you and for me. And we need to trust in him to receive these wonderful blessings. We also see God's grace in this growing family. Uh, so we're now in chapter 46, uh, and especially the first 27 verses. So in the book of Genesis, uh, we discover uh, God has made a wonderful promise, first of all, to Abraham and then to his son Isaac, then to his grandson Jacob, a restated promise from God that says, I will make you into a great nation. And that promise comes into view again. But at the beginning of chapter 46, we find Jacob moving towards Egypt, and we find him worshiping God, offering sacrifices. And then God speaks to him in a vision. And in verse 3, and we see, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. So there's that promise again. I will make you a great nation. And there is comfort for Jacob in verse 4. I will go down to Egypt with you. And I will surely bring you back again. The hope of the promised land is always there in view with this promise. Uh, but think of this. Here is 
Jacob, and he told Pharaoh how old he was. He was 130 years old. And now here he is at that age, having to move out of, move away from uh, the promised land, and he's moving towards Egypt. Uh, one of the places where things had begun to, to go wrong for Abraham, his grandfather, where the, the promise had been under threat, the place where Isaac, his father, had been told, don't go anywhere near Egypt. Now Jacob is going, but he's being told, I will go with you. And in that context, I will make you a great nation. There's that wonderful promise as Jacob is on the move that God's love and God's promise goes with him. God's love and promise is without borders. So verse 5 to 7, we see Jacob and the family on the move. And if you've ever moved uh, your family, you've had a sense of all that's involved in that, all the packing, all the organization, all the goodbyes that need to be said. Here is Jacob and 66 direct descendants all moving together uh, from Canaan down to Egypt on this journey of obedient faith in response to God's grace. And so we're told in verse 8 to, 27, 8 to 27, we didn't read it, but we're told of this growing family tree. Deliberately in the middle of all the, the action, stick in a genealogy to remind us of the promise. God had said that he's going to make them a great family. And so we begin to see how big that family is becoming to remind us of our promise keeping God. And recognize, too, that Moses is writing this history, and by the time he is writing, this family, this growing family, has become a nation, the nation whom God has chosen and saved from slavery in Egypt. So even as Egypt had turned from a place uh, that offered blessing to Jacob, come and enjoy the fat of the land, by Moses' time, we know that Egypt had become a place of threat. And if we know the story of Exodus, uh, we discover a pharaoh there hundreds of years later who is afraid of the strength of uh, these slaves that they have, uh, trying to um, basically crush them with hard labor, uh, then trying to kill the firstborn uh, children in each family uh, to remove their power. But God protects God's people. Keep growing because God's promise cannot be stopped. So again, as Moses helps the people to reflect, they're reflecting on a national history dominated by God's mercy, by God's love, by God's promises being kept. It's so important to look back and see God's faithfulness. What about us in light of the coming of Jesus? Remember the great words of Jesus when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then that call to the uh, disciples and the Great Commission, you'll be my witnesses to uh, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as we look around 2,000 years later at the global church, we see God's promise is still being kept. God is still building this family of faith. And when we trust in Jesus, we're brought into that great family of faith. And that faith in Jesus then connects us uh, with a local church, but it also connects us with a global church and the church through all history. 
So today, God's people will worship with very different cultures than ours and different languages than ours, with very different worship styles than ours, but we will share the same Savior and we have the same faith. And it's so important for us to remember just how big our God is and how big his mission is. It's one of the reasons why we had our Mission Sunday a few weeks ago to remind ourselves of just some of what God is doing through uh, various mission partners that we are connected with. But Jesus builds his church. God keeps his promise uh, to make his people a great nation of faith. And this is of practical importance to us today. It's important for us if we're here today and we're not a Christian to recognize that Jesus would have you to be part of his church, his kingdom. At our youth group on Friday, we were thinking about the story of, of Jesus as he's dying on the cross. He's speaking to the thief beside him, that thief who says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to that man and says, today you will be with me in paradise. As he recognized Jesus as Lord and Savior and his only hope, he turned to Jesus and Jesus in mercy and love saved him and promised him eternal glory with him. Do you see Jesus as the Son of God, as Lord and Savior? Then will you believe in him? Will you trust him? Will you follow him today? So Jesus building his church is important if we're not yet part of the church, but it's also important if we are Christians because one of our tasks is to be disciples who then make disciples of others. So it's important for us to remember when we're sharing our faith. It's important for us to remember that we don't save anyone. In fact, we cannot save anyone. It's only God who gives new life, but God chooses to work through ordinary people like us. So we tell people about the grace of God. We share our story of faith with people. We want to show the love of God in our families, in our workplace, in our community, uh, to do mercy, to love justice for the sake of God's glory. And we pray for the people that we care about. We pray for our community, our country, our nation, our world, because we know that God loves to save. We know that Jesus will build his church and... He loves to work through his people and through his people's prayers. One last thing to see, uh, this time uh, from the end of chapter 46 and then into chapter 47, God's grace in a reunited family. There's something lovely about seeing uh, family reunions. We've been seeing family reunions in uh, Jacob's story. Uh, we were looking after uh, two little kids uh, this week for a, a mum and a dad. Um, and after a few hours, we, uh, having looked after the kids, uh, Vicky delivered them back uh, to, the, to the gathering where the parents were, along with lots of other people. Um, and as soon as um, the kid's mum was spotted, what would we expect happened? The smile came, and he started charging uh, through that hall full of people, elbows flying, plates flying, all people flying, uh, because he wanted to be back with his mum. 
Even after four hours, there's that sense of happy reunion, back home. So how about here in the story of Joseph and Jacob? Verse 29 and 30. Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time for both of them. This is an unexpected joy. This is an unimaginable joy. They are restored together. The father and son who love each other are restored after the sin of those brothers had destroyed that bond uh, for some 20 years. Verse 30, Israel, covenant promise name of Jacob, said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. He can die happy because he's been reunited to the son he loves. And not only will they be reunited, they'll also be settled so that they might live together. So again, we see Joseph preparing the way. We read that uh, end of 46, verse 31 to 34. Uh, we see Joseph uh, preparing uh, the way for the brothers to go into the presence of Pharaoh uh, so that they will gain a welcome from Pharaoh, so they'll be able to settle in Pharaoh's good land. Again, we see another parallel. Uh, we see Joseph and his family. They are shepherds. Uh, Moses leaves the palace and he becomes a shepherd. Uh, lots of parallels in this story. Uh, but we get after the meeting in the palace, uh, we get a wonderful uh, little closing scene in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 47. Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their number, to the number of their children. God has been preparing the way. God has been providing for this family. God is keeping his promise to this family, reuniting them and then looking after them because this is the God who makes promises. And when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. So we have this wonderful reunion uh, that takes place between Joseph and his father and the brothers, and they're now living together in the best of the land in Egypt. Beyond sin, beyond the attempt at destroying the family, there is reunion or reconciliation, uh, to use a word that the Bible likes to use to speak of salvation when it talks of Jesus' work to save us, it talks about reconciling us to God. There is a breakdown in the relationship between us as people and God, and the break is not on God's side, it's on ours because of our sin. That perfect loving relationship that you and I were made for, that joy that we were made for, is broken because of sin but then restored by the work of Jesus. Jesus is the son who takes our place to secure our peace. We see Jesus on the cross being forsaken 
by his father as he willingly and lovingly carries on himself the sin of the world so that we might be adopted into the family of God, welcomed into God's family because of Jesus. It's through the punishment of Jesus that we have peace. The cross stands at the very heart of the good news of the Bible. Jesus, the night of his arrest and the night before his death in John chapter 14, spoke words of comfort that speak of reunion. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. And he said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will certainly come back and take you to be with me that where I am, you also will be. When our trust is in Jesus, we have a wonderful reconciliation that takes place now. The barrier of sin is broken because Jesus has paid the penalty for that sin. But we also have the promise of an eternal reunion of seeing Jesus face to face, of being made like him to enjoy perfect love and joy and peace forever. Reconciliation and reunion that lasts beyond death and into eternity. And we get there through trusting in Jesus, the Son of God, who's become our Savior. I wonder as we close, what place does God's grace have in your story? When you reflect on your own life up till now, your family life, what part does God's grace have in that story? Remember, my psychologist, Mary Pfeiffer, if you don't know your history, if you don't know your family, who are you? There is a very real danger for us in a church of spiritual amnesia, that we can forget our identity, that we can forget that we belong in God's family if we're trusting in Jesus. We can forget that we are secure. We have a new citizenship. We have a new family that we have been brought into. And you know, this is one of the reasons why you and I need the church. Because when we gather every week, we are gathering to remember whose we are. That we worship God as our Father in heaven, as our Creator, as our King, as our Lord. We gather to remember how we got here. How do we become part of the people of God? We remember the loving sacrifice of Jesus that unites us to God and unites us to each other. And we gather and we need the church because it reminds us why the gospel, the good news of Jesus matters so much. To remind ourselves of forgiveness that's only found in him, new life that's only found through him, the promise of a new heaven and earth in him. So like Moses, point yourself and point others back to God's salvation. Reflect back on your story. Reflect back on the story of Jesus to see God's grace, to see his promises kept, to see the favor you and I enjoy from him. Make the gospel, make Jesus central to your story.